Jay right in your face. Welcome back to the Fadeaway Podcast, episode two of the off-season edition, baby. Another one. We back at you um, this off-season with hopefully another guest that you guys will like. We're super excited to bring this guy on, and obviously we mentioned last week that our objective this off-season is to bring you guys some fire, some heat, some heat for your head tops, you know, some insights to different parts of the game, not directly, you know, game feedback, free agency, all the stuff that everyone was talking about, but... We wanted to really bring in people who specify or, or, you know, focus on specific things that I think would be interesting to talk about. So um, without further ado, I just want to have my boy Zayd introduce our next guest to you guys. So our next guest, we had a really, really insightful conversation with. Uh, his name is Brandon Hurley. And what he and what he does is he's assistant sports editor at the Carroll Times Herald. Now, for those of you who haven't heard of that. That's actually a um, basically a paper out in the state of Iowa and from a small city called Carroll, Iowa, in Carroll, Iowa. And you know why we brought him on and why you know um, we found him and found him to be interesting is that he was the lead re- researcher on a new autobiography released for Nick Nurse. And you know he got to spend some time with Nick Nurse. He got to cover Nick Nurse for his own pre- paper and uh, while researching for the book. So you know. We brought him on and had a very interesting conversation about Nick Nurse, you know, off and on the court. You know, he, you know, he kind of highlighted for us how Nick Nurse grew up, the the town he grew up in, and his journey, you know, to yeah. the NBA, which yeah. we found really interesting. Uh, without further ado, we're super excited to bring our next guest on, Mr. Brandon Hurley. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Mr. Brandon Hurley to the show. How are you, sir? I'm not too bad. Thanks, guys, for having me. How are you guys doing there? Uh, we're doing very well. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I know it's it's been a long time coming. I feel like we connected a few months back, and then with COVID and the season and everything, uh, it was all pushed, but we're, we're happy to have you on, man. Yeah, things kind of got crazy there. The, the playoffs were fun to watch, but, man, it did feel like it was almost like a, a sprint to the finish. That's yeah, her. absolutely. Did you enjoy bubble basketball? Oh yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great all the way through. I mean, the playoffs just from round one to the finals were great. I mean, I I couldn't have been happier. Now, were you focused on the Raptors during the playoffs, or are you a bit more of you know a uh, total NBA fan in general? I watched every. I made sure to watch every single Raptors game, but then I tried to catch as many playoff games as I could because I. Before this uh, Nick Nurse thing came into play, I was a huge NBA fan, so I was already locked into the NBA. And when I found out the bubble, bubble was going to be happening and there was there was going to be games on every night, I was like, "Let's go!" <laughs> That's a basketball fan's dream for games every night, all day. It, it was amazing. Oh, for the yeah. first the first round was amazing. <laughs> it was like NBA March Madness. It really was. It was great. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, uh, yeah, Brandon, we mentioned this briefly in our in our intro, but we want to just hear from you a little bit. If you can just share with our listeners, how did your um, relationship with Nick Nurse come about? How did you what's your connection to him exactly? Uh, well, I actually work. I'm a sport, a part time or assistant sports editor for the Carroll Times Herald in Iowa, which is the hometown newspaper of Nick Nurse. So the traditionally then. 
the Carroll Times Herald has been pretty good at keeping tabs on Nick's career. Like they I've clearly covered him in high school and then they came up and when he went over all, all his other coaching stops, he'd been, they'd been keeping tabs with him, but there was kind of this two, three year gap. And I started there at two in 2016 and I didn't really cover him for the first couple of years. And then I just, noticed that Nick hadn't gotten any coverage and he was I'd been hearing his name being tossed around in coaching circles for like top NBA jobs so I just went out uh probably two or three years ago I went out to Indianapolis when the Raptors were playing the Pacers and met up with him actually out there and introduced myself and sat down with Nick for probably about an hour on game day uh because he was still an assistant so sat down with him about it for an hour at a bar and grill not far from, uh, shoot, I can't even remember what the Pacers place is called anymore. They changed the place so, so many times. I think it's Conseco Fieldhouse. Uh, so we were right across the street from there, and I just hung out with him, interviewed him, wrote a big, long feature story. It was probably the last long feature story. No, I know for sure it was the last long feature story that we did in our paper before he became a head coach, and then it kind of just escalated from there as he – Became head coach. I obviously was like, hey, this is a rare opportunity that we have as a newspaper in general. And then the fact that we're a small, small newspaper in Iowa and have a chance to kind of cover an NBA head coach. I was like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity just as a basketball fan. And then a once in a lifetime opportunity as just a, a reporter. So I just jumped on it and then. Obviously, you guys know the story. The, the Raptors just went all the way to the championship, and I just kind of followed them all the way there. And so it was, it's kind of been a quick whirlwind, but it's it's been fun. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds actually really exciting. Now, just give us some maybe some background or some insight for us and our listeners who aren't from the city of Carroll, who aren't who aren't from you know Iowa. You know what's what's that that what are the towns like there? You know, I you know in my mind, Carroll, Iowa. It's just I I like maybe I'm naive but I, I think small town kind of living um not sure what major cities are and we're, we're big city guys we're I, I guess fairly big city guys yeah uh, we live outside of toronto and we obviously when we, we go to toronto often so we kind of know what a what a big city is like but you know just give us some background on to uh, as to you know what it's like to be from uh the city of carol and i believe you're from your hometown is ames iowa yeah yeah ames is about uh an hour East of Carroll. So Carroll is super small in comparison to Toronto. Uh, I love, there was a, there was a stat that they said in Nick's first game when he was head coach of the Raptors last year, uh, that Carroll's population of 10,000 could fit inside Scotiabank Arena twice. That's how small (laughs) the whole entire town of Carroll. And I just, I love that because it, I mean, in, in the grand scheme of Iowa, it's not a super tiny town like there's a lot more towns that there's a ton of small towns in Iowa but it is still a rural town in Iowa it's there's two high schools there he went to Kemper Nick went to Kemper Catholic High School so the private school there and then there's one other one Carroll High School so they've they're kind of that typical Midwest rivalry they're a lot of blue-collar people in that town it's a very obviously since Hence the Catholic name. It's a very Irish Catholic town, and especially back in the '80s and '70s and '80s when he grew up, uh, I wasn't. I was born in '89, so I wasn't familiar with how 
that Irish Catholic uh, atmosphere back then, but I'm, I'm right, sure as yeah. I, all the research I've done, it was pretty blue collar and the typical Catholic straight laced people, the small towns. But yeah, it's uh, there's not a whole lot to do in Carroll. There's I don't know. There's probably it's a big sports town, a big high school sports town. Because I mean, like I said just a bit ago, there's not much to do in Carroll, and so yeah. Nick was the typical small town four sport athlete. He he was the starting quarterback for Kemper, and he was wow. point guard for the basketball team that ended up winning their state championship and the only state championship in that state. school's history. Damn. Yeah, and what uh, a legend! He played, yeah, he played baseball. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> he played baseball, and he was a really good starting pitcher. He actually, the interesting thing was he he started. He was originally going to go to the University of Northern Iowa on a baseball, some type of baseball scholarship, but then one day. In an all-star game after his senior season for basketball, the coach, the head coach at Northern Iowa noticed him and offered him a basketball scholarship. And the rest is history. That's kind of how it changed. And, yeah. Yeah. And so, Carol, yeah, and he was also a, a high school pole vaulter, which you never really, I doubt there's another <laughs> NBA that's head coach crazy. that's a pole vaulter. <laughs> so, uh, a pole vaulter. Nice. Nick Nurse, yeah. We're going to break that. I feel like nobody knows that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's um, it's crazy. He even made his own uh, pole vaulting pit in the backyard of his house because he he had like he had he had eight other nine eight other brothers and sisters, and so he they were just crazy sports people, and they made a pole vault pit out of uh, like two wooden structures on the side and put up a bar across, and they were pole vaulting over over the bar into like mattresses and uh, couch cushions and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So I actually want to expound a little bit more on the culture of basketball in the city um, of Carroll, the city of Ames, just Iowa in general and how that shaped Nick. But before we get into that, um, the reason or the way actually I was introduced to you, Brandon, is I saw an article on a Facebook group that we are both a part of and um, it was the ringer and it was actually an article that the ringer had wrote and it was a feature about you. Um, and that's sort of how I came across you and your story. And I found it very interesting. But can you just share with us, how did that happen, man? How did you get a feature on The Ringer? Did they reach out to you? Did you reach out to them? How did that work? And and what was that like? Oh, it was it was an absolute shock. It was totally unexpected. I was, uh, there's a little bit of background to it. I was, when the Raptors went up, what, 3-1, in the finals last year, coming back home for game five to clinch it, I'm sitting there watching TV at home in uh, in in Boone, Boone, Iowa, right next to Ames, and I'm like, I have to, I have to make it, a, I have to make it out to Toronto, no matter what I do. To if if they clinch the game out in Toronto, it's just going to be an absolute madhouse, and we have to be out there and cover it. So I got all the things squared away. And actually ended up driving out to Toronto because we're a small town newspaper. We don't have a whole lot of money. It's a family owned business, so we're not like bringing in the riches. You're not the Post. You're not the Times. No, no, not at all. So I knew, especially it would have been a a middle of the. It would have been like a a flight out there and back pretty pretty quick. So it would have probably been a pretty cheap, pretty expensive flight. So I decided to just take my car out there and drive. So it was a 14 hour one way trip from Boone, Iowa to Toronto. So I got out there, was covering the game, all that, blah, blah, blah. And then in the post-game, I didn't think of anything of this, but I was at the post-game press conference. I'd been to a couple – I'd been a handful of 
press conferences, NBA press conferences before, so I was not scared about asking any questions or anything that like that. So I asked Steve Kerr a question. I don't even remember what it was, but apparently that caught. Uh, it was being broadcast, I think, on NBA TV, the press conference, and apparently it caught the eye of uh, Brian Curtis, the editor of the Ringer, and he just thought it was crazy that some guy from Carroll was covering the NBA Finals. So he later that night, I was no, I think it was the next day, I was just at a bar in Toronto, just hanging out, and I get this email from Brian Curtis, and I'm like, hey. I know that name, Ringer. I was like, there's no way this is <laughs> this can't be real. I was like, so I go it's to the one back. of those automated emails, like, hey, sign up for a subscription. Yeah, that's what I, <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. And I was like, well, I'll just reply to it anyway. Just what if it is Brian Curtis? So then I replied, and he told me how he thought it was super cool that I was out there covering the finals from Nick Nurse's hometown. And then next thing I know, the next morning he's calling me, and we had about an hour and a half phone conversation, and. It was just super surreal. And then after that, everything just blew up. I had probably eight media requests from Toronto, like Toronto media guys. Like the CBC had me on a couple of times. Um, Sportsnet uh, and Jeff Blair had me on. Uh, all sorts of stuff. It was just crazy. They, so they you did, you did your own like, little media tour then. That was, I, that was exciting. <laughs> yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> That's awesome. I didn't expect it at all. And so it was... It was fun. No, it sounds actually sounds amazing. I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be in your position, you know, getting that email, you know, how how excited one person would be getting that and doing that media tour now. Let's bring it back to you know, Iowa and Carroll and mm-hmm. you know, just you you talked about, you know, fair, fairly a r- rural, you know, small city, you know, 10,000 people can fit them all into the the Scotia Bank Arena twice. Now, how do you think that you know, shaped Nick Nurse's basketball? How do you think that culture shaped Nick Nurse's basketball career and mindset? And also, you know, I want to also ask, you mentioned, you know, Nick Nurse was the point guard on the state state championship team. He was a pitcher. He was a quarterback. Did he always kind of exemplify, you know, know, was he always that leader? You know, he played what it seems to be like the most important positions in, in every sport. So was that just kind of already in him or is he just naturally talented or you know what brought him to do to play all those positions in all those sports even musically too he's the lead guitarist lead singer exactly he's just lead everything lead everything so is that just who he is (laughs) yeah i i think so i from everybody that i've talked to uh coaches former players and everything that i've read it and just talking to him it seems like he was always wanting not meant, not necessarily wanting to be the leader, but he just naturally gravitated to that. And I think it's part of probably it, without even him even knowing it, probably because he grew up with such a big family, having eight brothers and sisters, and they were all pretty good athletically considering Carol. And so I think he watched all those people and just like learned around them that, hey, maybe this is what I need to do to be a leader and all this stuff. So I think he picked up a lot of that and like, his college coach said he was the definition of a point guard out in the court. He was orchestrating offenses, and obviously as a quarterback, you're leading the, the offense, and you're the signal caller back there. And the pitcher, the kind of everything is in your hands, literally. You have the ball in your hands the most amount of times. And so I think just over the years, it just became natural to him to be that leader. And I think – 
Carol as a whole, you talked, to, you asked about uh, how it shaped him. Just uh, I was a big blue collar state. I mean, we're known our biggest export is corn and they're just filled with farmers. It's a farming state. Like that's the number one thing that anybody in America, if they think of Iowa, they think of farming and it's, and they're not wrong. I mean, and farmers, they have to be their own like kind of self-starter. They have to sure. go out there yeah. and plant the crops, harvest the crops, do work, all that man. stuff. And yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a lot of hard work. And a lot of Iowa is like that. There's not many cities in Iowa. They have, we have maybe Des Moines and Davenport and, and Council Bluffs. And, and then that's, and then that's it. Everything else is kind of small town type stuff. So you have to, you have to grind to get out of those towns. Otherwise you're, if you're not really pushing yourself, you're going to, I'm not going to say necessarily you get stuck in the town because a lot of people choose to stay in their hometowns in Iowa. But like, if you really want to get out of Iowa and make a name for yourself, you really, really have to push. And I think that's what really, that's how Iowa molded him. I I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And and you bring that up, Brandon, it's kind of funny because, and when you when you consider all the positions, right? You got the point guard, you got the QB, you got the pitcher. Not only are they leadership type positions, but these positions require a certain level of mental toughness. And um, I know that we're going to talk about that more in in terms of his playoff run. But you bring up the blue collar state, the hard worker state, and it's pretty clear to see where that was cultivated. You know that tough mentality, the nothing can shake me type mentality right like this guy is a small town guy and he rocked his first year as an nba head coach he was a star you know like he looks the role it's not just that he's smart he's not one of those guys who knows what he's doing and you know it's kind of awkward with it like he embraces it and uh, it's, it's very interesting to see and and i think the reason zayda and i wanted to to paint the picture and zayda you can comment on this mm-hmm. but i think that when we were looking into this and, and knowing that it's a small town we thought that, you know, painting that picture for people would help them understand really his journey a little bit more and be, you know, f- feel a little bit more like personable to Nick. Because I, I feel like a lot of us have, you know, similar starts, if, if not even tougher, you know, simpler, I guess, than his because he's coming from, you know, very, very small town. Yeah. And why I enjoy kind of Nick Nurse's story a lot more than maybe a Steve Nash hire or Jason Kidd hire is is. is you know, Nick Nurse wasn't necessarily a basketball Hall of Famer who was a shoe in for a head coaching position. You know, you know, mm-hmm. he bounced around all over the world, essentially coaching at different levels at different in different countries, which we'll, which we'll get into later. And that's that's why, you know, Nick Nurse is kind of more like you and I or, or, or the average Joe, essentially, obviously, maybe more athletically gifted given that you know he was able to, to excel in so many sports and get scholarships but that didn't necessarily those those opportunities didn't necessarily really lead to what he's doing now he yeah. really had to grind he had to bounce around he had to almost he grinded he, yeah like he, he he had to live a what probably would be a pretty rough lifestyle to get to where he's at today and that's why we enjoy oh, yeah. him the most yeah um and so you know Brandon if you could just also share some insight on nurse's journey prior to the d league prior to the nba i know that for me when he was an assistant and when he was becoming or he was kind of in the in the in the conversation to become a head coach i i kind of i kind of blindly supported nick nurse just because of what i've heard 
uh you know i heard that you know he was responsible for doing casey's offense when the casey was it was at the, at the helm I, I i think i read somewhere online that he won in the british league as a player coach uh as well so if you can just you know give us some more insight on his actual journey before he made it to the league and before he made it to the nba yeah absolutely and i think that journey up into the nba is what makes nick so unique i mean there's there's no other story like it in the NBA and maybe not even in pro sports. I mean, he really, like we keep repeating, he really grinded. He really, he really had to want to succeed as a basketball coach because there was nothing given to him. There was nothing easy. I mean, after he graduated college, he went over to a place called Derby, England. I think it's somewhere outside of London. And he was hired to be a player coach in the British basketball league. That's wild. Which, <laughs> That's actually yeah, insane. Which, That's so yeah, cool, which though. England is not a basketball country, and it's still not a basketball country. It wasn't then, and it's still not. And so he was 23 being uh, a player coach of guys that he said were, some of them were like 35, 40 years old. And so I can't even imagine trying to coach dudes that are 12 years older than you fresh out of college how i mean how do you even get those guys to respond well, you're also to you? playing too you're also playing yeah, that. i think that's yeah, the biggest yeah. part yeah and so like he uh, he had a story that he told one time that he brought an american assistant with him i think he brought his roommate actually over to help coach with him and he told his coach he told the guy he's like never bring me out of the game like i'm the head coach so don't <laughs> don't bring me out you can bring everybody else out but just don't ever bring Not me, me out so and from there, he went He went back to America for a couple of years. He did that only one year, and he didn't have much success, which is was kind of expected. I mean, that's a pretty tough gig of course. as a 23-year-old. So he came back to Iowa. He coached at a small, small uh, private school in Des Moines for a little bit. Then he went over to South Dakota for a couple of years in his, as an assistant. And then at that point, he realized – that he wanted to be a head coach. He was, he did not want to be a college assistant. He did not want to be kind of ding, uh, screwing around in like D2 division, low division one. So right, he knew yeah. if he went back to England. He had opportunities to be a head coach over there, even if it was a lower league. So he went over there, coached probably three or four different teams. Uh, actually, I think the first team that he went over there, I think, I don't remember what the name of it is. And a lot of, I it's not the biggest deal what the name of the team is, but he went over there and won the first year and then he bounced around and actually worked his way up to like the, one of the top two teams of the league. So probably either like comparison, probably either the Lakers or say the Warriors. He was, he went to one of those teams and actually won a championship with them. And then he ended up, uh, had, he had an opportunity to be co co or part owner of a team and coach of the Brighton bears. So he went over there, and this is where it gets really crazy. He was not only coaching these guys, but he was having to figure out where the tickets were going. Uh, he was trying to figure out promotions for the arena. He was doing, like, crazy media tours and wow. just figuring out all this stuff while he's trying to coach the team, too. And as you could probably guess, it didn't necessarily go that well. They ended up running out of money. <laughs> because Nick 
as you could tell, as you could just pick up from Nick and in his interviews and his coaching and stuff, he's a big marketer and he loves to promote and he loves to do all this. So he was obviously, he didn't say that he ran out of money marketing, but I have a feeling that's what it kind of was. Like he just was trying to make everything great and it just ran out of money. So then that's why he, that's when he came back to, came back to Iowa and got involved with the D league and the NBA. I feel like coaches that get involved with, with many you know too many tasks outside of coaching yeah don't usually succeed and we saw it with stan van gundy we saw it with doc, uh, doc rivers, rivers. It bit, yeah um so it's it's tough man it's tough when you're focusing on the team and the game plan but half of your mind if not more is on other things and it, it really takes you away from that game plan um, yeah trying to make sure you're making money <laughs> like so yeah absolutely exactly. yeah. selling tickets getting marketing and everything like that but um we, we were just i think zade mentioned this earlier but Nick was brought on to Casey's staff to oversee the offense. You know, he was an offensive savvy guy. Uh, he he had new schemes, fresh schemes, and at the time he came in um, and really had that that responsibility. The Raptors' offense was very stagnant. You know, we had Demar and Kyle, Dribble and come playoff time, it was just very much ISO basketball. You know, it was Dwayne Casey's favorite saying was pound the rock. You know, go <laughs> go through your guys and pound the rock, and he just kept going through his guys, and it was very very stagnant offense, and then. We felt that one year Nick came in before he was head coach and he was the assistant. Um, he really did revamp the offense. But then you zoom out a little bit and you look now and you're like, Nick is one of the most defensively savvy, if not the most defensively savvy head coaches in the NBA. You know, he's throwing out all kinds of zones, you know, all kinds of things. Even high school kids don't even run. Yeah. Um, so really, really creative defenses. So I want to hear from you a couple of things. First, is that a is that a testament to how far he's come along in his coaching journey from when he started as an assistant to now? And is is defense just a big focus in Iowa basketball? Is that like the grit? Because I feel like you know blue collar hard worker defense. It, defense it almost goes hand in hand. So can you talk on both those points? Yeah, defense is definitely huge in Iowa basketball, Iowa high school basketball. I mean, because there while there are some guys that came out of Iowa and made it to the NBA there aren't a whole lot and so there's not a lot of ton of Iowa basketball talent so you have to kind of like the old adage says defense wins championships defense creates your offense so it's kind of been and Nick has even said it before his high school coach back in 1985 Wayne Chanley really drilled it into him that hey they needed to play strong defense and really well defense and so Nick's just carried that all the way through. I mean, he's obviously adapted it to his own style and and he's and what I really like about him and it's obviously very noticeable in his coaching style. He's not afraid to change up defenses. I mean, he's not going to just stick with man to man and stick with this guy on the certain guy like he obviously he likes to utilize the matchups a lot, and obviously the famous boxing one against Steph Curry last year. But he also went against the Celtics this year in the in the playoffs. He went to that smaller lineup. It may not have been that big to big enough to score a lot of points, but on the flip side, it that almost silenced the Celtics, especially in that double overtime game. I mean, the the Celtics barely could score on that lineup. So he's just really he's known as an offensive coach but you guys nailed it i mean he's really great defensively too and i think it's yeah, it's just it's, something that he picked up over the years and it's it's kind of it's kind of geeky it. it's kind of geeky for me to say this or even feel this but i feel i genuinely feel like his defensive schemes and make it's like art 
Like watching the Raptors play defense is enjoyable, and I I could you know be biased because it's my team, but there's something about Raptors low scoring games that are exciting that you don't get out of like you know 2007 Spurs low scoring games <laughs> with where they're just beating you fundamentally or like you know mm-hmm. just you know doing that. But the Raptors are just gritty, whether it's OG mm-hmm. or you know for the for the early part of the season, Rondé Hall's Jefferson you know played a big role on yeah. defense and in. Freddie and Kyle, the small guys, and, and being able to shift and just guard all defenders, and obviously the big guys. Like, I felt like when you know when Nick Nurse got Marcus All, I feel like it's when a kid get you know on Christmas, they get like mm-hmm. that gift under the tree that they've been waiting for all year, and it's like, hey Nick, you have a champ, you have a team pushing the championship. You've got Kawhi Leonard. Hey, here's Marcus All, former Defensive Player of the Year, to anchor your vision, and I feel like he just ran away with that and. In the same way, I think those guys had a great impact on the team. I think that they also had an impact on him as a coach uh, moving forward as well. Um, you said you covered game five of the finals last year. Uh, so that was the game where they almost won the title. We were supposed to win. Yeah, we yeah. were supposed to win. So just we to give you a bit of a story. Ten in a row for Kawhi. I thought they had it. We were Dude, ready. I'll tell you a story. So Zayda and I and a few friends of ours, actually uh, someone we know rented out a bar downtown Toronto. And we had about 100 people packed in there. And it was just, man, we were ready. We were going to parade the streets. And it was it was the moment. And then all of a sudden, you get those three straight threes. And then Iguodala hits a three. And you're like, what the heck is going on? And then you end up losing the game. And it was so heartbreaking. But, I mean, we ended up repeating the same exact event for game six. And we won. And we paraded. It was not the same. (laughs) That night was not the same. But it was still amazing. But you covered that game, which was a very heartbreaking game. Um, talk, can you talk to us first of all about what does it mean to cover a game and what what it was like that experience and, and the conversations you had after that game? Oh, it was it was super awesome. And like I said before, I was I'm a NBA fan at heart. So when I got my credentials approved, I I was like a kid in the candy shop. It was yeah. unbelievable. Like I was like I'm not only going to go to a finals game, but I'm going to get paid to go to the finals game. So it was just unbelievable. And it was, it was super cool. I mean, obviously my spot in the press box was up in the nosebleed, but that didn't matter. I was still in the building and it was crazy. The The weirdest part was when Kevin Durant went down with that injury. I mean, that was the weirdest sounding atmosphere I, I'd oh, ever yeah. heard. Like there yeah, was, that was bad. There were so many people that were like hushed and then they started to cheer and I was like, what the heck is going on? And then, and then the player, the Raptors came out on the court and were like telling everybody to shut up. And that was definitely like super weird, but just throughout the whole, the whole game, it it obviously went pretty fast. Like I wasn't able to really just cherish it all, but just like, like you guys said, those, when the end of the game, when Kawhi was, just going absolutely nuts. I was like, all right, here we go. This is when this is when they clinched the title. So I jumped in the elevator actually and ran down, tried to I was like, well if they're gonna win the championship, I'm gonna try I know I'm probably not allowed on the court, but I, I brought my camera with since I drove. So I was like, I'm probably not allowed on the court, but I'm I'm gonna try to make it sure I get out on the court if they win the championship so I could snap some photos and stuff. I mean there's this is once in a lifetime opportunity. So I'm I couldn't I realized once I got down to floor level, I couldn't really get close to the court because a lot of people had the same idea. (laughs) They they swarmed the tunnel and there was just reporters and team employees and ushers and this and like just crazy. So I couldn't even really see 
the end, like I had to watch the end on the, on the jumbotron and it was, it was just pretty wild. I mean, it was, it was pretty cool. And, but surprisingly the, the Raptors were pretty subdued and a, I mean, they were kind of annoyed that they lost, but they weren't like in panic mode. And that makes sense. They were still up three, two. So it was, it wasn't really as crazy as I thought it was, but like just the whole thing was pretty cool. And just having the ability to go around Jurassic, all the different Jurassic parks and, and checking that out was pretty awesome as well. So maybe just elaborate on that feeling post game five, you know, what was the the mood like? What was the atmosphere like? You know, Nick always seems like he's so cool. He's calm. You know, he never doesn't seem to, he doesn't seem to waver in, in whether it's a good moment or it's a bad moment. Now, you know, as a rookie head coach, to be that, you know, poised, that disciplined, you know, to show that kind of stability in his emotions is, I think, it's insane. It's 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 you don't really see that, and that's something that you it's know, underrated. I it's think. very underrated, and that's something that you like. Yeah, coaches get frustrated. You see them, you know, you know, go off in press conferences or you know go on long rants or tangents. Nick Nurse was very calm. He was cool. You know, sets a very good example for his team. So, if you could kind of like maybe take us through, you know, what the atmosphere was like after that game five, how the team kind of, how they felt, what were their moods, what was their body language like after that loss? Yeah, absolutely. I think the one of the first things Nick really tried to implement once he took over as head coach was that hey, we're not going to get too high after a win. And we're not going to get too low after a win. And I think that was really, really important throughout the whole season. Like even that one time when they just stopped the Warriors earlier in the year, Nick talked about how it was just just another win. Because, I mean, their goal was to win a title, not beat the Warriors in the regular season. And he had the right guys, too. I mean, Kawhi Leonard, as we all know, is this stoic guy all the time. And he has... (laughs) He had Marc Gasol, like we mentioned. Uh, he's just a veteran that kind of knows the game of basketball. And so, and Kyle Lowry is just the kind of the heart and soul of the team. So you have these these key parts that are kind of already on board with Nick. And so if you have all those guys coming together just as one, it's I think it's really easy for them to realize that, hey, it's not all doom and gloom right now. We still have tomorrow. We still have a lead in this series, even if we are going back to Oakland. So I think it was just a combination of those things. I think if Nick had a younger team at that point, like if it was a bunch of, say, a bunch of super, about young superstars, like if you had threw in Jamal Murray and a bunch of these younger guys, like if you had like a Tyra Hero type. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell. If you had all those guys on this team and they were at in the finals – it might have been a little harder for Nick to tame his motions, but I think it helped a lot to have those veterans and he was able yeah. to think, Hey, this is right. Like we need to just stay the course. We have this. Yeah, I agree. And that was a little bit to the point I made earlier as well about, you know, the impact that they had on him as a coach. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, being put in a position to win a championship and compete for a championship off the bat is, is a very, you know, it's a lot of, it's an experience. A lot of coaches may never get to experience. And yeah. It just as much as it helps a player, like you know, the impact that going through a playoff run, like in my opinion, what we're gonna see in the next ten years, we're gonna look back on Pascal's playoff run now and say this helped him. You know, this was a mm-hmm. stepping stone 
the same thing happens for coaches, you know, going up against other, you know, savvy coaches. And, and earlier you made a point or we were, you know, Zaid was making a point about, you know, him being calm and collected and, and being able to address, you know, hard topics and just seem to be, you know, so cool about everything that he addresses. Um, that's a very underrated skill in a head coach. And I think if you actually look at Boston and one thing that Zaid and I often talk about on this podcast is Brad Stevens is missing that. That, I think, is the step that he needs to take that communication, that better poise. I'm not saying he panics or he, no, not you know, he run, not, not like that at all. But I think Nick's ability to communicate and just be so, you know, just seem like everything just comes so easy to him. I think that part of his coaching ability and his coaching repertoire is what will help a lot of coaches, you know, get to that level. And I think it's very underrated. So he just – he really did fit the role perfectly, and he was given a great opportunity off the bat. And uh, and it, it, it really did work out. So let's let's talk a little bit about what it means for, you know, the small town of Carroll, the small town of Ames. Even, you know, you're an hour out, but you still feel it. You know, you're still part of it. What does it mean when, when Nick wins the title? You know, when – when Nick brings the trophy home, like what does that mean? Is the city together? Is you know, or is it only the basketball people that are together? Because you know, we experienced this here in Toronto, and over the last seven years, you know, I remember the first playoff run. Zayd and I were in university, about an hour and a half out of downtown, and we took, I mean, we took the train to go to the the first ever Jurassic Park to watch the Brooklyn series, and it was oh, like nice. pouring rain. It was dark. It was cold. Yeah. And um, there weren't that many people. And then you fast forward seven years, we have like 40 different squares, you know, all different cities Mm because not everyone can get downtown. So obviously as the team sees success, people feel whether they like basketball or not, they feel more attracted to the team. So did you feel like the whole city was invested in this championship or what did it feel like when he won it and brought it home? I don't know. It was honestly, I'd like to say it really changed Everybody in Iowa and made everybody huge NBA fans and stuff like that. But it really, I think, number one, it showed people in Iowa that, hey, you, if you work really hard and you keep taking steps forward instead of taking steps backward, you can have success. And it doesn't have to be just in coaching or in basketball. It can be whatever job you're doing. It can be manager at you can finally make that manager position at the grocery store you're working at, or you can get that promotion you're going for. So I think number one, that's what really spoke to people. And then it two, it showed with Nate Bjorkren catching, uh, getting a head coaching job yes. this week yeah. or a couple of weeks ago, yeah. his uh, <clears throat> assistant that's from storm Lake, which is only an hour North of Carroll. <clears throat> it shows. Iowa oh, really? Hey, yeah. I didn't know crazy. Nate was from out there as well. The Interesting. Yeah, effect, the I'm telling you, is starting. Crazy. Yeah. He's the future Popovich, man. He's got a little yeah, tree yeah. starting up. Yeah, Brittany Donaldson, the the female assistant for the Raptors, she's from Sioux City, which is in Iowa. So, oh wow, the, so and he, she went trend. to Northern Iowa. So, so he's a hometown guy. He's bringing yeah. all the hometown people with him. That's really, nice. he, that's actually really great, is. man. It's super cool, but yeah, he it shows those people that they can that Iowa does have not necessarily a lot of a ton of basketball talent, but we. We have knowledge in the basketball realm. Like it's just not, it's not a wasteland over for athletics or <laughs> sports knowledge. Like we actually can keep up with. Uh, it may be it may be few and far between, but it, it, you can keep we can keep up with basketball. Uh, but I I was hoping 
the the championship would like kind of create a big stir and create a whole ton of new NBA fans in Iowa, but it didn't really. Cause I, I, and I don't know what it is. Like I've always loved the NBA, but it's, it's really hard for the NBA. I think for number one, there's no NBA team or any pro franchises yeah, in Iowa. Yeah. So I think that's hard for them that's just to tough. get into that. Yeah. And like the people love their college sports and their high school sports. But so like it, it didn't, uh, catch everyone by storm as much as I thought it would. But for the people that were paying attention, I know they were very proud of what Nick did and, and it was just, it was pretty cool. Yeah. And I know like Sidney Crosby won the cup and brought it back to Tim Hortons in his small town. Did Nick like bring it home to something sentimental in his small town or anything like that? Not anything particularly sentimental, sentimental. He actually had like his coming home party at a casino. <laughs> as weird as it sounds, there was a, there was a banquet hall in the same building <laughs> and it, it unfortunately wasn't as well attended as I thought it would be. It was a lot of, older generations of people and that's really what carol is in those surrounding counties is a lot of older generations family year after year that are hanging around so but he did uh bring a lot of guys they invited a lot of his former teammates and former coaches and stuff and they kind of had somewhat of a roast they weren't necessarily roasting nick but they just they, it was this, a form of a roast. Like they all took turns taking the mic and telling Nick stories. And the championship, the the Larry O'Brien trophy was there. And he went and Nick afterwards took as many pictures with people as they wanted <laughs> with the trophy. So That's it awesome. was pretty cool. It wasn't anything like crazy, but I think that fit his personality. It was pretty low key, and just people did what they wanted. Really. That's interesting. They say it fits his personality because we. Like to us, Nick's a Nick's a rock star. Like he's the yeah. head coach. You know, he's he's very well spoken in the media and, and in public. You know, he plays a freaking guitar and he's like you a went on stage with the stage with the arc the and they looked like they were featuring exactly. So it's funny that you say you know it fits him. Small town, like we were see, like there's two different sides almost. Oh yeah, or, there or, is. Or, there really is two sides to him. There is, to be honest. Yeah. So. Um, now you are the head researcher for his new book, uh, 15 teams, four countries, one NBA championship, how to find a way to win damn near anywhere. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, which really, you know, congratulations just, on that role, by the way. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, thank you. a crazy thank you. experience to have. So we just want to know, you know, what's that experience like? How much work is involved? What kind of work is involved with that? And, you know, how was Nick like to work with one-on-one? Um, I didn't get a whole lot of time one-on-one with him, but at the beginning I did. And he was actually pretty receptive of the whole thing. Like I, I was actually the one that came up with the idea for this book. I, one of my colleagues mentioned to me about doing something like that. So I reached out to a couple of guys, uh, actually reached out to, I was connected with an agency. And once I got a hold of the agency, I reached out to Nick. I was like, Hey, I kind of need your permission to not necessarily write a book with you, but hey, I'm writing this book. And I was just expecting him to say either yes or no, but he said yes. And like, what's your business plan? Let's like, let's talk about it. Like, where are we going to go from here? And so like, he was on board from day one. And I think I pitched it to him Christmas two years ago. So like right in the middle of his first season coaching and he was on board. And so like, uh, there was one, I, what I the coolest part of doing this process at the beginning was I was actually when I was out in New York meeting with the agents, Nick actually invited me up to his penthouse suite uh 
somewhere downtown New York City. And so we hung out there for about an hour and he's up there. He has this like really cool, like clear guitar. So he's sitting up there just kind of just strumming it and he's, he's throwing me out guys that I should talk to. He's like, Hey, you should talk to this guy. You should talk to that guy and all this. And he's like, what if it was really cool if we did this? Like if we, it didn't get in the book, but originally he wanted to get like, maybe he's huge into jazz and he wanted to maybe get some like jazz musicians talking about music and stuff. And he wanted to start that with quotes on each chapter. And so he was really on board from like day one. So that was really cool to see. And it was just, and the more you dig into his career, the more like the deeper and deeper you go into the rabbit hole, the more you find out that there's a lot more articles written about him than one would think. And so like a lot of it was just like going through the archives of my old newspaper, going through trying to find stuff over in England and stuff like that. And it was just really cool to see all this stuff that he had done. Like it was, it was just a really cool process doing it. It was a, uh, it was fun for sure. Now, when you're, when you're doing this, are you privy to certain information because of your position that say, you know, Zayd and I, if we're doing this, wouldn't be able to, or is this all readily available on the internet? It's just for you to find. No, I, since I didn't do any of the writing, I don't, I wasn't, I didn't get any information that nobody else really had. Uh, Michael Sokolov was the co-author, uh, who wrote the whole thing and Nick's and wrote it with Nick. So he, he was able to get all that, but no, I didn't, unfortunately didn't get really anything. I was hoping to get stuff like that. Like the author went out into Quebec city and spent like two weeks with him. And he said that they just, uh, got a bunch of ice cream with the I, I, uh, record shops and stuff, and they just really hung out. And I'm sure he got all sorts of like classified type stuff. But yeah, for me, for I sure. didn't get any of that, unfortunately. No worries. No, I just wanted to know. I was just, you know, curious because you you think about what this position would entail, and it's it's really just it seems very interesting. But um, you know, you got a chance to really learn about Nick and really you know un unravel who Nick Nurse is to a certain extent and, and you know him a lot better than than the average person would so given that the style of the game you know changes whether it's here or england or the d-league or the nba or college or d2 or high school you know the game changes no matter where you go it changes and and obviously the irony in all this is the title of the book is that he finds a way to win damn near everywhere um so what do you think about what do you think it is about nick that makes him so different or that makes him able to go to a place and communicate to people effectively and get everyone on board and find a way to win. What is it about him specifically? Well, a lot of people would say it's his willingness to innovate. And I think that's a huge, huge key to his career. Don't get me wrong, but honestly, I think it's his willingness to continually learn. Like he's never afraid to pick, pick up something new he's not afraid to he's a huge reader so he reads books all the time he and he got that really from he never coached for phil jackson but phil jackson is like his mentor he read uh sacred hoops by phil jackson like over and over and over and he loved the triangle when he was over in england coaching his guys so a lot of what Phil Jackson does, if you know a lot about Phil Jackson, Nick does a lot of the similar things. Like he, he'll he give books to his players to read, just like Phil Jackson did. And Phil Jackson, as we all know, is the Zen master. And Nick is big on just taking time to relax and taking time to 
create and taking time to learn new things. Like Nick, Nick is also, he also taught himself how to play the blues on the piano through a Harvard online class while he was coaching. <laughs> and <laughs> why not? Right. He's yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And he's teaching himself how to play the guitar right now. And he's just doing, he's never afraid. He never stays in one place and it's obvious with his coaching career. So, and he has this great quote that it's obviously not verbatim, but he was talking about it last year. He never took a job on his rise to the NBA just to take a job. He always took a job because he knew it was the better job. He knew, he knew throughout his career when his time was done, like when he had reached his potential at that current job. So he would go and find another job. Like when he was coaching the Iowa Energy in Des Moines, he won a championship there, when, which is now the Iowa Wolves, the D-League team. And then he was offered a job by Daryl Morey in the Houston Rockets for their D-League team. And he's like, this that's really where his innovation started, the shot spectrum, the shooting the threes, the run and gun type stuff. That's really where it took off. And he realized that was kind of a basketball laboratory. And so that's why he took that job. So I, I think the moral of that whole story, I, I kind of went off a, on a tangent, but it's just like he always knew, he didn't necessarily know where the next step was, but he knew he was looking for that better step, the next step that could take him to the next level. It's funny that you mentioned Phil Jackson. I actually saw him, or I saw Nick do an interview. I forget who it was who, who it was with. And he mentions that from from afar, Phil Jackson was like his mentor, but he didn't really know it. And how much he looked up to Phil Jackson, and um, I, I think they, I think he may have went to a Phil Jackson camp, or no, he he got to spend a weekend with him, at yeah, a ranch. yeah, yeah, at a Montana. ranch. So I think yeah. he did have some Flathead sort of Montana. interaction with with Phil Jackson, and he talked about how how much that meant to him, even though Phil Jackson had no idea. Um, but Phil you Jackson also cover the forward of the book. Really? Yeah, oh, that's interesting. I did not know that. Now, you also covered Nick Nurse during the 2020 All-Star Game. So, we just want to know, you know what, what it was like to be at the All-Star Game, you know, have that kind of access. Um, and what was, it, what was it like being around the best people, the best players and the best coaches in, in the league? Yeah. Holy crap. I thought the finals was crazy. Wait until you try to go cover the All-Star Game. It is, media-wise, it is the finals on steroids. Everybody was there. It was unbelievable. People were from all over the world were there. There was people I can't I should have kept a list of all the countries are there, but Media Day was nuts. I should send you guys the picture later, but uh it was at the Bulls practice arena and I stood up at the at the top and looked down on the court and there was probably 150 media members down there. And it was just I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. I mean, I have always liked the All-Star Weekend, but I didn't realize it was just a field day for media members. And then, and then the fact of being able to see some of the best players or the best players in the world all in the same court, all in the same place, it was just super surreal. And the fact that I was there not as a fan but as like someone getting paid was even cooler. So it was just a cool moment. And then – the fact that they had all the Kobe Bryant tributes, I mean, that was super surreal just to be in the stands for that. And it was it was just incredible. And the whole weekend was just something I'll never forget. Yeah, that's that's literally like an NBA fan's dream. Oh, yeah. You know, you're, you're in like the, the pinnacle of, of 
basketball, man. You're you're in a building that has the best players and like the biggest celebrities from the entire country, all in one place. Um, so that that's really cool. What was the most fascinating thing that you learned about Nick while you were researching his life? You know, like obviously when you get to to look into all this stuff, you definitely find little interesting tidbits. So share with us a little bit of that. I think the the most interesting thing is you guys are like this is he actually coached Dennis Rodman in a couple games over in England. Like Dennis Rodman was apparently doing like Big Brother England or something, and it was like it was like mid two thousand. So Dennis Rodman was no he wasn't young or anything. Like he was the old dude, but like Nick reached out to him and somehow they were able to get him on the team and. After a couple get like this, maybe after the second game, Rodman invites Nick to the club. Like, oh, <laughs> so oh my goodness! One of the greatest rebounders in the history of basketball is inviting this dude from Iowa to a club in England in his limo, <laughs> and Nick took him up on it. And and oh, wrote him I, I would do that too, Dennis Rodman. So I think that was probably <laughs> the craziest story that I found, and they ended up having to forfeit the games after Rodman played because apparently England has this weird rule where you can only have one American player on your team. Oh my! And so they had to forfeit. Basically. But Nick was like, hey, I don't care if we forfeit these games. All these guys on my team, they're never, ever going to have a chance to play with a Hall of Famer again. So it was worth it. So that, that kind of just spoke to his personality and the chances he's willing to take and how much he thinks of his guys. Hey, as as I'm I'm hoping he, maybe he was the the owner and it wasn't only the coach at that time. It would make sense for ticket sales to bring in a Hall of Famer like Dennis Rodman yeah. over, yeah. especially even at an old age. I think I actually saw that uh, a report or a story about when it was last week. I think I saw it uh, when Dennis went to go play in in the English league, and he I think he he was a, it was a three game deal, seventy five grand, and I think in one of the games he broke the single game rebounding record. Yeah. At like yeah. age like forty five in that league, so it was three years, twenty four even. Yeah, so till, it was hilarious to see. Till today, the the record stands. I think. Yeah, yeah. It, Nick definitely was the owner at that time, so you're right. <laughs> yeah. It was it was a big marketing ploy to get fans to the game, and I think it worked. I th- I think it was sold out, so it definitely oh, worked. Absolutely, well done, Nick. Absolutely. Now, with that, we just want to say again, man, thank you so much, Brandon, for joining the show. Um, you know, when we had first come into contact, we had this exact show envisioned and. It was great to just have it see you know see it come to life. So we really appreciate your time. We'll give you back the rest of your evening. We won't annoy you anymore. Um, but we would love to have you on again sometime. You know when the season starts, talk more. You know basketball, what's going on around the league at that point, and and uh, but yeah, man, Zayn and I are really appreciative of your time. Thank you. Yeah, I loved it, guys, and yeah, feel free to get a hold of me again. There, as I said, there's not, there aren't a lot of people in Iowa that love the NBA, so. I don't have a whole lot of time, a whole lot of chances to talk about the NBA. So this was a blast. So I loved it. Thanks so much, guys. No worries. Thank and Nick you, Nurse, if you're uh, if you're listening to this, <laughs> feel free to come on and talk. If black you're basketball. listening to this, yo, I know we said we're you know big city guys, but we're small town guys at heart. You can come <laughs> talk to us. We'll, it'll be a super cool conversation. But no, honestly, Just, thank you, Brandon, for your time. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it.